Chapter 7 of The Great Sinners of the Bible. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Sinners of the Bible by Lewis Albert Banks. Chapter 7 The Ladder of the Angels and the Sinner at the Foot. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Genesis 28, 12, 13. Soft sins lead to hard lodgings. It seemed a sharp, shrewd trick for Jacob to cover his hands and neck and face with the hairy goatskins, and thus deceive his father, who was old and blind, and ensure for himself the blessing which belonged by birthright to Esau. But I imagine the trick seemed less cunning that night at Bethel, when tired, worn out with a forty-mile walk, he lay down on the hard ground, and with a harder stone for his pillow slept the heavy slumber of an utterly exhausted man. Depend upon it, sin does not always wait till the end of the journey to make itself felt. It has way stations of punishment all along the path. A very subdued-looking boy of about thirteen years, with a long scratch on his nose and an air of general dejection, came to his teacher in one of the Boston public schools and handed her a note before taking his seat and becoming deeply absorbed in his books. The note read as follows. Miss B., please excuse James for not being at school yesterday. He played truant, but I guess you don't need to lick him for it, as he and the boy he played truant with fell out and the boy licked him. Also, a man they sassed caught him and licked him. The driver of a sled they hung on to licked him. Then his pa licked him, and I had to give him another for sassing me for telling his pa, so you need not lick him until next time. I guess he thinks he had better keep in school hereafter. That boy was doubtless of the opinion of Kipling, who was said to have been present at a discussion participated in by a number of literary men where the question argued was whether there was a god or not. Finally, Kipling brought his fist down on the table, ending the discussion with the pertinent sentence, I know there is somebody somewhere who gives us our licks. No man here who has come toward the years of maturity, but has found that there is, back of all life, some intelligence which executes and makes real the edict of the Bible that the way of the transgressor is hard. Jacob found it so in the old eastern land where he dwelt, and every sinner in Cleveland is finding it so now. The sin may be soft enough, but the bed it sends you to is hard. It may seem a far cry from this opening suggestion to the next that impresses me in our study tonight, but it is this, that heaven is not far away from earth. It is so near that its inhabitants are very much interested in the things that are going on here and are seeking the welfare of dwellers on the earth. Jesus says that heaven is so close to this world that there is great rejoicing here over any sinner who repents of his sins and turns his feet toward that land. I think Dr. George H. Hepworth is right in his feeling that this nearness of heaven to earth is either ignored or kept silent about a good deal more than is wise. The worst feature of that tender sorrow that bereaves us of our loved ones is the feeling that those dear to us have gone so far away. It is that feeling which breaks the heart and clothes those who are left behind in blackest mourning. If a child out of a family goes across the sea to study in some foreign land, the sense of loss is often very keen, and the separation is hard to bear. 
but those who remain at home are buoyed up with the thought that the young man or young woman is not only alive, but is receiving benefits which could not be obtained at home. And though those who remain are lonely and grieved, there is mingled with the sorrow something which makes them even proud of the ability to sacrifice themselves for the good of the absent member of the family. If, however, one dies out of the household flock and goes to heaven, the attitude is very different. There is then not only that sense of separation, but the added sense of loss. There is usually little or no appreciation of the fact that heaven is a great deal nearer than Europe. The thought of immeasurable distance weighs down the soul into hopeless discouragement. Surely we would be very greatly comforted if we opened our hearts to receive fully the assurances of the Bible, both in the Old and New Testaments, that heaven is so near to earth that there is constant communication and that our lives are constantly brooded over and visited on tender missions by glorious angels. We have also suggested here the comforting truth that heaven is full of mercy and sympathy for the sinner. They do not repudiate us because we have been overborne by temptation and have been forced out into exile by our sins. Heaven is not merciful to us only when we deserve it, but when we need it. Jacob was in great need of this revelation of God's mercy and willingness to forgive him and lead him in a new way. He had made a bad start and was being driven away from home by his sins. There was every reason to fear that he would go straight to ruin, for ruin is always at the end of the sinner's path. A young man who was converted during some special evangelistic meetings, held in a mining village, desirous of doing something for God, bought some tracts. He was distributing these little booklets one day when he met some of his old companions, who derided him as he spoke to them of Jesus. Here, said one of the old companions, can you tell me where hell is? After a moment's hesitation, the young man looked up and said, yes, it's at the end of a Christless life. And no man is ever in greater danger of taking the shortcut to such an end than the young man whose sins have driven him away from home. He finds himself in hard circumstances, without friends, and without the constraint of the public opinion of people who have known him, to hold him up to do his best. Such a young man is tempted to say, It makes no difference now what I do. Nobody cares. I have made a bad start, and got a bad name at home. And in this new place, nobody knows me, or cares what becomes of me. I might as well have my fling. Ah, how many boys have gone to ruin like that. A man in such a state needs, more than anything else, to come face to face with God and know that God has not given him up, but loves him even now and is willing to save him. Jacob needed nothing so much as that. No doubt he thought he needed other things more. He wanted a home. He wanted a soft bed and a square meal. He wanted friends and employment and a chance to make his way. But whether he appreciated it or not, what he really needed more than anything else was to meet God. A little boy came to his father one day and laid his hand upon his knee, looking up wistfully. Do you want a penny, child? The sweet face glowed and the answer came. No, Papa, only you. So, my friend, it is not money, nor success, nor fame, nor fashionable pleasures, none of these things that you need most. The supreme need is to find God, to be sure of his love, to be certain that at the top of the ladder of life is God. What a sinner needs when he has made his failure and lost all is a new chance. Jacob, by his sins, had emptied himself of home and inheritance 
into everything that he counted valuable. Is that not true of some of you? Many times people are unconscious of being in such a state until their real bankruptcy of soul comes on them as a shock. There is an old legend about an Egyptian monarch who had his treasure house built, as he thought, so as to be impregnable against thieves. But in one corner of the wall, the architect had built a stone which revolved upon a pivot and could be pushed round so as to give access, and when dying, he left the secret to his sons. So, night after night, the sons crept in and brought away some of the hoarded wealth, and when the king, fancying his coffers to be still full, went in to count his treasures, he found that they were nearly all gone. How many are being thus robbed of more important treasures? Where is the innocency which you once knew as a little boy or a little girl? Where is the gentle tenderness of heart? Where the unselfishness? Where the open-handed genuineness of character which was your treasure in your youth? Where the simple confidence in God and in His Word that made prayer as simple and natural as talking with your parents? Where are these treasures worth a million times more than any gold or silver? Alas, unseen hands have stolen them away. What you need, then, is what Jacob needed, a new chance, and that is what God gave him and what he is ready to give you. If I speak to any man here who is discouraged and disheartened, I want to say a word in season to him that is weary. No matter if you are past middle age and have lost what seem to you to be the best opportunities of life, if you are yet alive, God stands the new ladder of the angels down at your feet. The whole world has recently seen a splendid illustration of what a man can sometimes do to recover lost ground in a business way even after his hair is white. Mark Twain awoke one morning a few years since to find himself utterly ruined financially, a bankrupt, a great many tens of thousands of dollars worse off than nothing. In addition to that, his health was very frail. Many a man in similar circumstances would have sat down to mope out in despair the few years left to him, but the brave-hearted humorist set himself to work with an energy surpassing that of youth to retrieve his fortune. He laughed at the people who said to him that he had done his best work. He belted the globe with lectures and writings until, a little while ago, he is said to have made a dinner for his creditors and laid beside each plate, in lieu of the menu card, a check in full for the balance of his indebtedness. Someone has well said that is the best joke Mark Twain ever perpetrated. God gave him a new chance. But God is always doing that in a spiritual way to men. Jacob had forfeited one chance, but God gave him another. And out of his despair there arose before his vision this ladder of the angels, and above them God reminding him that he was the God of his fathers, that he was his God, and that he was ready to guide him and make his life a great and splendid success. Surely I could bring you no sweeter message than this. You may begin life over again, you may have a new chance, through God's infinite mercy. During a terrific storm some years ago, a ship was driven far out of her course, and helpless and disabled was carried into a strange bay. The water supply gave out, and the crew suffered agonies of thirst, yet dared not drink of the salt water in which their vessel floated. In their last extremity, they lowered a bucket over the ship's side and in desperation quaffed the beverage they thought was seawater, but to their joy and amazement, the water was fresh, cool, and life-giving. 
They were in a freshwater arm of the sea, and they did not know it. They had simply to reach down and accept the new life and strength for which they prayed. My brother, weary with your sorrow and your sin, discouraged at your failure, throw a bucket over the ship's side and drink the sweet water of God's forgiving love and mercy. Start again. Do not for a moment imagine that because you have failed once, you may not now succeed. Josh Billings once said, A man who is bitten twice by the same dog is better adapted to that business than any other. The fact that you have had one failure will help you to steer clear of that failure in the future. Take heart, brother. Heaven is not far away, and God bends over you with mercy. End of chapter 7